0: Welcome to the Ask Me podcast. I'm your host, James Smirthwaite And today I'm very lucky to be joined by one of our own internal champions of sustainability, which is Martin Fahey. Martin, how are you? I'm good,
1: James. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I thought I'd just start off really. We always do this um, just to see what people's backgrounds are, um, why they got into the position they're in, and what your role is within the business.
1: Well, great, yeah. I've, I've been in the um, HVAC sector all my working life, really, um, since I started as an apprentice in 1985. I'm a lot older than you, James. So um, yes, you and I'm now in my 17th year here in uh, Mitsubishi Electric, and I've spent most of that time in living environmental systems, various business roles from sales, sales management, marketing, And in later years, being one of the originators of our Green Gateway initiative, our environmental narrative at the time, Uh, and then head of sustainability for the LES business. I'm now head of sustainability for the Mitsubishi Electric UK and Ireland branch, uh, which covers all of our business activity, which is um, wide and varied from living environmental systems, HVAC systems, as I've talked about, lifts and escalators, transport systems, power systems, factory automation and auto. So uh, I've uh, learned uh, in the last 18 months a whole lot more about a lot of different industries. But the interesting thing is, is how they all mesh together.
0: I guess really they've all got similar goals, to to be honest. Everyone's kind of trying to achieve carbon reduction they're all trying to do similar sort of things and i know we're, we're quite privileged really in, in the industry that we're in to do with heat pumps and that's obviously got a massive part going forwards in the reduction of carbon but there are other parts of our business that are trying to achieve the same thing so i guess really your role is is more of an internal base looking from the outside in rather than um the inside out really which is obviously where our core products sort of sit so how are you looking at sort of making sustainability in the environment at the heart of the solutions we provide to the market and making sure that our own environmental targets are kind of met so really sort of practicing what we're preaching so we're talking all the time about putting heat pumps to reduce carbon putting lower refri- uh, lower GWP refrigerants to reduce the amount of carbon environmental impact um how are you trying to do that from our own perspective as mitsubishi electric as a business
1: yeah you're you're quite right we are um we have a very wide and, and, and varied um, set of solutions that we can apply, uh, but they they are all um, common in, um, in the direction of travel that we're going. Um, and we're part of a global Mitsubishi electric business, and we've just passed our 100th anniversary as a business, a real major milestone for us. Uh, And we've achieved the goals we set ourselves in what we call Environmental Vision 2021. Uh, And we've now laid out the direction for our Environmental Vision 2050 plan, when we aim, along with many other companies, countries and all of us as citizens, to be net zero by that time. Uh, We're fortunate that our company has always been willing to look very long term in its planning. And that's demonstrated by our 100th anniversary this year. Uh, and the very first product the company made um, 100 years ago was an air movement product. It was a desk fan, but we were moving air at the time yep. electrically, and that was quite a novel thing in 1921. Um, so, yes, we're busy looking now at um, how those plans and aspirations look for us, uh, a more local, and lo- by local, I mean UK and Ireland, so it's, it's big, mm. Um, and uh, in the context of all those markets that I mentioned and the UK and Ireland dynamics specifically um, so that when our senior team are generating their plans they can do so confident that they're supporting the wider sustainability goals we have as a business.
0: It's good, it's good, like you said, 100 years ago we started with a desk fan and now we're you know we're we're ventilating and cooling huge great big buildings all over the world so it's we've come a long way since then um it's interesting something you mentioned there obviously we've had environmental visions in the past and it kind of predates the most recent not fad i suppose really but but the attention that um sustainability and, and net zero and the environment is getting so that environmental vision 2021 how long ago did we look to to get that in place that plan in place
1: yeah we tend to work in uh, six year cycles so you you'd be able to track all the way back to the early 90s in that sort of secular approach for us as a as a global um company but as i say being able to look a long way in advance which we've always been able to do as as a business gives you um maybe gives you some sort of clarity uh, as to um the direction that you want to be so there will there'll always be those bumps in the road uh, uh and it's not fair to call covid a bump in the road it's been a major uh issue for us all and uh,
0: i was going to say it's been, it's been rather than a bump in the road i suppose really it's been a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of a lot of things made people realize that you know, there's 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 a lot of a lot of issues that have been spoken about for a long, long time, and these things are actually happening. And you know, global pandemics and um, climate change and all those things, you know, they they are real, <laughs> as we as we've seen the last couple of years, really. So,
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I it's, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, you may have seen a a graphic. I've certainly used it in presentations of mine, which which shows. The different issues that are, are facing us as as sort of waves coming in, really, and COVID is is a huge shock for all of us, personally, professionally. Um, but the the graphic, if you um, uh, if you remember it, James, shows the impacts of climate changes as dwarfing that, really. And um, I I think the discussion around sustainability, the environmental issues, has um the way I describe it is it's definitely matured in the years since I've been paying close attention to
0: it without a doubt yeah without a doubt and I I think in the short amount of time I've been in the industry which is only sort of 10 to 15 years um I've seen it shift we've preached about heat pumps we've preached about low carbon technologies and people have always put in the, the kind of cheaper option normally is what people went with it was you know finances are the things that dictate the route that you take whereas now it feels like people are taking more of a long-term approach to it and, you know, looking at doing their bit and trying to re- reduce the amount of energy they're using. And, and it's good. It's a good, a good time to be in the industry, I think, really. We've got a really big part to play in it. So it's good. So how have you seen those goals shift over the last 10 to 15 years? Obviously, we said that dating right the way back to the 90s, you know, we've always had a bit of an environmental plan in place. So this isn't a shock. We're not starting from kind of ground zero, I suppose, and, and, and starting to come up with a plan but but how have you seen that plan adapt
1: yeah um it it was interesting recently because we've been doing a lot of work around um, the embodied carbon of our our equipment and we actually looked back the first time we were asked to comment about the embodied carbon of our equipment was in bids back for the 2012 olympics even years before that i think it was dated 2009 was the first time we were asked the question so we've been on we've been on quite a journey. So, I mean, in my time in the business, we've seen huge shifts in sustainability issues and drivers we face as a company and indeed the entire globe. Uh, When we conceived of our Green Gateway initiative, which was around 13 years or so ago, we knew that the discussion then was building around the whole built environment and its place um, as an energy user and a consumer of vast amounts of resources. And we've been hopefully part of that discussion ever since.
0: And you were the person that adopted the Green Gateway. Sorry, Martin.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I was I was certainly one of them then. Yeah, uh, I won't uh, say in this forum the nicknames that I had back at the time then. But um, we were, uh, um, yeah, I'd like to think we were probably a bit ahead of the curve then in the discussions that we were having. And um, you know this, James, because it's your side, uh, part of the business, but we we've been fortunate enough to foster some very long-term relationships with some major clients out there. And they've been uh, ahead of the game on this, and they've wanted to go on the journey with us and have those discussions. So I think there's two main areas that I've seen develop over that time. And I mentioned one of them briefly, which is just the amount of detail that we are asked for now on our products. We've always been good at the operational phase of our equipment and rightfully so because it's installed for 10-15 years consuming energy to deliver what the building requires but there's now um uh, an added focus on every element of what goes into making that particular unit whether it be a heat pump and air conditioning unit a major chiller for a for a big uh, commercial property whatever it is um what goes into making that its materials the energy used to make it how it was shipped um and ultimately how it will be handled at the end of its life to reclaim those materials and that's been a um shift that i've seen in that time and uh, we all know the goals now that's another shift and i think in the in the way that this is being discussed in great forums like you're doing um here james whereby These sort of subjects, embodied carbon, net zero, um, even carbon in general, the energy we use, is just part of the uh, national debate now and will continue to grow, I think, because the um, sustainability discussion has matured. And for a company such as ours, we find ourselves in a unique position, I think, with our wide array of electrically powered solutions. That are connecting to a rapidly improving energy generation infrastructure with more renewables in it so the short version is we need to stop burning stuff it's as simple as that burning things generally means consuming fossil fuels and even if we're burning biomass that's adding to local air quality issues we spend a lot of time talking about air quality both internal and external so as Mitsubishi Electric we have long seeing the shift towards what we tend to call an electric economy with solutions from the distribution end all the way through to the transport industry and consumption in buildings of all type. So uh, I think we have a new unique view of that, that full, um, it's a long answer James, but that that full suite of things that we need to tackle as a, as a society.
0: I think you're right. I think we've always had the, like you said, we've had the products there that, that are efficient so the the amount of energy that goes in gets converted in such a way that you get more output from it than the amount that goes in which is always good but we've never really tackled that as as a as a carbon kind of consumer in the past it's all just been an electrical mm. consumer and like i said earlier on it's always gone down to the fact that how much does it cost to run so that's always been mm-hmm. the, the, the main question actually now it's how much energy are we using in that product and as a result of that, how much carbon is being used within that energy that's powering it? And like, you, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned it, that the grid's getting greener. We're looking towards this all-electric economy, which encompasses things like electric vehicles and, and everything else, you know, that, that, that goes into that kind of um, electrical network. And it's 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 really exciting to see where we're going. And, you know, we're and places like that now getting built, the grid's mm-hmm. getting greener. It's, you know, it's a much better place to, to sort of try and utilise these products. So yeah, it's good. It's, good. It's, it's a really good place to be. Um, the next question for you then is: you, you spoke about the 2021 plan. You spoke about an environmental vision 2050. Is that our own target that we've set ourselves as, as a business in the UK, or is this is this a global kind of goal that we've 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 put forward?
1: Well, yeah, we're obviously part of the global um, business. Um, we're a major part of it, um, operating in the way that we do across all the markets that we. Uh, that we look after um, for our business across UK and Ireland, but yes, so we've we've it's out in the public domain now. We've published uh, the the um, outline of what environmental vision twenty fifty looks like for us, uh, and we've committed to be a net zero company by that time by twenty fifty. Um, that's the headline, uh, and there's been a lot of discussion around uh, net zero uh, and when when that could be achieved. And there's a lot more inside there. And it's expanded a lot further than when we were first looking at our 2021 plan. So for a company like ours with a global supply chain and global footprint, um, that's going to be a major undertaking, to say the least. Uh, But we're up for the challenge. Uh, We're looking now at the detail of what this means for us, and are discussing with key clients in our various markets about what it means for them on their own journeys and how we fit in with that, because uh, we're not going to go on that journey on our own, just as they're not either. So there's lots of discussions going on um, in that regard. So currently it's a relatively early stage. We see the 2050 goal as being more realistic for us as opposed to bringing this forward, but we're keeping that in review to see, um, how how fast we could go and in what areas we could perhaps go quicker and in what other areas for us might pose more of a problem but uh, so yes we're we're part of that and we're we're very much fixed on that as our goal. Well,
0: I've heard you in the past talk about different ways of reporting that net zero because obviously we we talk a lot about net zero mm-hmm. as a team but there's actually different ways of reporting that carbon reduction isn't there. And did you mm-hmm. want to elaborate on that a little bit because I didn't know about this until you told me.
1: Yeah. The phrase net zero is entering into the public consciousness and we we certainly talk about it a lot and the different industries that we're in and um, uh, clients that we're talking to are fully aware of, of what it is. But it probably warrants some explanation for this because you could ask any primary school child what zero means and they'd say, well, it's nothing. Well, of course, by that time we will still have to consume things. We'll just have to consume less. Uh, now this makes it sound really easy which of course we know it isn't but we've got to consume less and we've got to consume differently so we'll be eating differently we'll be traveling differently and we'll be heating our buildings uh, differently so uh, net zero is is a matter of balancing what you need to consume versus what you can absorb at the same time so that that seesaw if you like stays nice and even as, as a net and the the diagram i'm fond of using is from the committee on climate change to explain it really well which shows the whole column of the different areas of where emissions are coming from at the moment and then the the journey we need to go on in the next 40 years or so over to 2050 where we need to be able to absorb what we're emitting So, yes, you're quite right to pick up on it. There's lots of different phrases out there, absolute zero, net zero, just zero. So uh, hopefully that
0: explains what net zero is, at least. And I I need to ask a question really quickly as well. You said about absorbing what we use. Is that carbon capture you're talking about?
1: Yes, carbon capture will be part of it, uh, and there'll be... Um, obviously, if you if you carry on, it's like for anybody who's familiar. When we in Green Gateway, we talked about that in the past. Uh, we talked about the energy hierarchy, about doing things in the right order. So it's a matter of driving down your consumption levels first. If you don't, that that huge mixed bag of um, emissions is just going to be impossible to absorb um, whether that be with carbon capture or storage or whatever other technologies are coming along planting forests you know there's a lot of talk about peat as being a a, a big carbon sink at the moment that we can't afford to allow to release its carbon back to the atmosphere so that's what that means yeah drive and uh, so in a energy hierarchy approach which we're all familiar with drive down the need to consume energy in the first place Consume the right sort of energy, and then when you are still needing to consume something, understand how you can mitigate against that at that time.
0: So, like a fabric first approach type situation, then basically,
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, and and we've always advocated that, and that's um, in the past. I called it maybe turkeys voting for Christmas. I mean, if you if, if for a company <laughs> like ours, because if if you Take that approach in the right way, you actually need less physical hardware, which is what we do. Um, But it's the right way to do it. You've got to drive down your consumption in the first place, just the same as you would at, at home if you carry on in the way that you're doing now and just not going to achieve it. So there's no point keeping the heating on and leaving the windows open. You know, see what I mean? To try and make it. As simple as possible. You know, it's easy to describe net zero in a few words, but hopefully, I've got across that it's a lot harder to actually deliver. And um, we have to really, as a country and as a company, we have to really bite down on this one over the next ten years, and and make sure we're at least halfway there by 2030, so that we can then move forward um, uh, for the for the remainder. And the devil in all of it is always in the detail. And we're looking now very much into our scope three emissions, uh, which for if anybody knows is where most of the emissions for a company like ours lie. And it's a real mixed bag. And uh, we need to understand, firstly, what they are and then how we can address them.
0: So I guess we've aligned with science-based targets and for what you're talking about earlier on when you talk about scopes and have we gone with the science-based targets that we're sort of setting the 2050 goal with?
1: Yeah, um we have and I'm I'm really pleased with that. I mean it's growing all the time the um the companies that have signed up to science based targets. Um and for those who don't know it is what it says on the tin really it's it's target setting and it's setting your aspirations around what the science tells you, you need to do rather than just Looking for those, maybe small incremental changes. So we've done that as a global business, and that's given us the understanding that for the scope one and two emissions, we've got a target in there of eighteen percent. And for scope three, we've got a target of fifteen percent over and above our agreed um, baselines, a uh, baseline years, and that um, we know now from from how it's been analysed will allow us to keep our impacts below what the globe, uh, the global impacts uh, of two degrees was what was agreed in uh, Paris. We've also got a long history of working with a, a third-party oversight company called Carbon Disclosure Project, or they go under CDP now in a shorter form. We feel it's important that we generate this sort of working relationship with the company over those years, so they know how we operate and they can test us on what we're doing and and see whether or not it's actually moving in the right direction. So a combination of that and science-based targets fits uh, well for us and um, gives us the platform for us to publicly state what we're trying to achieve as well.
0: Good. And it, this bit fascinates me, and I'm I, looking forward to asking sort of some of our clients and some other people who are looking after clients to, to kind of help them realise their their plans. But we see announcements all the time to sort of say that, X business is committing to a net zero target by 2035 or 2040 and i can imagine then that the sheer amount of work that then has to go behind the scenes to get that one particular statement and actually make it happen so are you able to really briefly because i know it would it'd be you know probably a whole series series of podcasts in itself if we go into a lot of detail but just to talk about the general process of putting the plans in place to achieve that target of 2050.
1: Yeah. uh, Like you say, making the statement, that's the easy bit. And, and it seems like a, such a long way away. I mean, uh, certainly at my age, there'll be other people that are driving that forward by that time. As a global company, we, we take a global view and we, we have to play our part of it here in the UK and Ireland as to how we apply that, those targets that I've already talked about and the wider goals. But Sustainability isn't just about carbon. That's vital, Um, and it's right that that is um, CO two and carbon is the unit of measure. But it's it's a far wider agenda, probably best captured by the seventeen UN sustainability goals. So we look to these as well as uh, to give us guidance in our action and our planning. So, having the twenty fifty goal in mind, as we did previously when we were plotting out the twenty twenty one goals, we're able to look at where we want to be and need to be, and backcast from there. That's important because it means at some point on that journey, and I often describe it as a journey because we're all we know where the where the end goal is. Our paths to get in there are going to be different. At some point on that journey, we're going to have to make the difficult decisions. You know the is that factory fit for purpose? Um, can we upgrade it? Have we got to move offices? Have we got to close offices? Have we got to stop a certain activity? And having that long-term vision and end goal in mind allows allows for those probably trickier decisions to be made. You know, we're, we're doing the regular stuff that you would expect a company like house to do now, looking at how we travel as a business, looking at our paper consumption, all of those things. but there'll be those trickier decisions that we'll have to make as we go along on that journey.
0: And linking into that really, you said obviously we're a global business. Um, I can imagine for some businesses out there where they're very localised, whether they're in a particular region or in a particular country that's well set up to allow them to easily reduce carbon and hit their goals because let's be honest, you know, there's countries in the world that are very green already and I can imagine it's, it's a relatively simple thing to be able to do for them over there. But are we finding that different different geographical locations that we have offices and factories are going to find it a lot harder? So therefore, other regions that can reduce their carbon easier and potentially exceed the goals that we've set ourselves are going to have to sort of compensate for that. Is that something we're seeing?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's a fair point. So I suppose the, the short answer there is yes. I mean, we have a wide um, footprint. um For a company like ours, as you've alluded to. So, we have a long, convoluted supply chains upstream and downstream. So, it's important to look at our local challenges in this context and the goals of where we operate. For us, we've got a unique dynamic in that we work with our team in Ireland, still in the EU, and we also oversee our actions in the UK. And now we've left the EU. So, you might think those sort of dynamics are further away, but they're not. They're right close up with us here albeit we've got the common goal of being net zero by 2050 and this is where which in my experience is is rare having that common goal Um, i've not known it before Uh, this means that there there may be scope for certain territories to run at a faster pace of change than others it's something we're looking at in the round for example we have a manufacturing facility in livingston in scotland to make him one of the key products we've been talking about here in the form of Econan heat pumps for domestic applications. And the Committee on Climate Change has indicated that Scotland can achieve net zero by 2045. So we we don't have to go far to see that certain territories can, yes, you're quite right, go at a different pace to others. And um, that's another dynamic we have to factor in.
0: And quite a tricky one as well. <laughs> I would think China trying to, trying to sort of go back and, yeah, and work that out, but... Um,
1: uh, yes, yeah. yeah. The legislative environment is is always a tricky one, of course, yeah. And, and I think the built environment is one that is going to require legislation within it, you know, to make sure that we, or regulation, maybe that's the right, the better phrase for it, to ensure that we create, change, refurbish our built environment um, in the right way for future generations so that we're not placing product onto the market that is just going to need um, addressing further down the line
0: yeah no, that, that renewable heating product that you know heat pumps is obviously a hot topic and you know at the moment so boris has obviously announced them being a big big part of the plans going forwards to decarbonize heating in in the uk and are we working with some legislative bodies that helping to try and achieve those industry standards because i know sort of uk green building council and you know certain other similar others to to, to them are obviously relying heavily on manufacturers as to what they can actually do with the products to help them sort of realize their own targets
1: yeah well of course we're the experts on the products that we make and that we place in the market so yeah we see that as a responsibility on us really to engage far and wide really with those sort of bodies so you mentioned uk green building council we've worked with them for a lot of years um, here in the uk almost back to their inception at the time and uh, we've we've done different um, particular projects with them and i'm a great supporter of what they do they they their the quality of their output is outstanding really and and because of that we've decided we will work with them on the upcoming um, COP event in Glasgow in November and just be one of the many companies who will work with them in promoting what the built environment needs to do and can do on this journey to us all being net zero. Uh, but it doesn't end there. We work um, broadly with the trade bodies in all of the markets that we operate in. I mean, just to mention LES, because I know it um, maybe a little bit better. We work with the Heat Pump Association. We work with the Sustainable Energy Association in the great work that they do. And then more on the on the skills and maybe more on the practical side of things. Uh, we've got a great working relationship with bodies such as uh, Beamer and BISA. Lots of uh, acronyms there, but uh, people can go away and uh, look those up. But those, that suite there, are a lot of the um, the major um, advocacy groups that are looking at the um, technical technicalities of the change that we need to make. And I shouldn't forget Sibzi as well. we worked a lot with Sibzi on the. Uh, embodied a carbon agenda just recently and
0: sort of ahead of us really is we 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 touched on the all-electric economy earlier and we've spoken obviously a bit about heat pumps as a solution and we've spoken about our own internal um kind of challenges we've got but what challenges can you see because i know you've been part of this going forwards and working with these bodies can you see any other challenges ahead of us in achieving an electric economy and in the uk
1: yeah um another good question that one i mean the the I suppose there's often talk of a skill shortage around um, the installation of products such as heat pumps, and as we've um, found ourselves talking about those, uh, which are seen as a new product, um, but they're really not. They're they're being installed in their tens of thousands in the UK and in their millions around the world. So um, I I wouldn't want to underestimate this challenge, by any stretch, because there's a, a we need a lot more um, skilled pe- people in the industry to make the change that we need at the pace that is required. Um, uh, but really, what we're talking about here is a, a difference in understanding in sizing a heat pump and the heat emitters, um, as opposed to uh, a technology that they may be more familiar with, such as a fossil fuel boiler. But a lot of the skills are the same. It's connecting pipes, it's electrical skills. As that develops and people like us train um, the existing engineering base uh, on what the differences are and that the colleges pick up on this and start training more on these technologies than on the older, more inefficient ones, then I, I have every confidence that we can make the changes we need at the pace that is required. I suppose another one uh, while we're on it is uh, it does require accessing people's homes. You know, there's 27 million homes in the UK, many of them on the gas grid. And um, we will need to access people's homes, change their heating system for a more efficient one, whether that be a heat pump or another system. And no one solution is going to have be applicable to everything so um, that's something else to bear in mind which is um, I'm confident enough now in the years I've been working with the technology to say that from the reports I read as well and committee on climate change are seeing that the mass solution certainly is an air source heat pump for the majority of buildings however there's some more harder to treat areas that are going to need addressing such as heavy goods, transport, shipping, public transport. And those are the areas where I think perhaps green hydrogen can play um, play a part. So it's not without its challenges, James, and it's a fair question to ask. But um, I don't see any of them as insurmountable at the moment, I suppose, is where I am with it.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Martin. I think um, there is no one solution that fits every application. And, you know, the reason for my question really was just to get that point across really I suppose is that hydrogen might suit certain types of applications, um, heat pumps might fit others but we're not saying it's the one solution that fits all problems so um, I'm glad you kind of went into a bit of detail on that really and I think what's quite apparent here is there's a really long road ahead as much as we'd like it to be a short one it's, it's not it's going to take a long time to achieve the targets that we want as you know globally and also as a, as a country but also as, as as a mitsubishi electric as well and obviously you mentioned that we've got our targets now set to 2015 hopefully and i've seen this happening and we'll start to bring those further further forward as we start to see ways that we can reduce the amount of carbon throughout our state and make our business more more sustainable and, and um, carbon friendly so yeah it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting road ahead really probably about the point now where we're going to um bring it to a close unfortunately, I'd, we could probably talk to about this for another hour, two hours, three hours. Um, but I just wanted to say a, a massive thank you for coming on today. Um, I've learned an awful lot um about the things that are going on in the country at the moment and also within our business. Um, I'm really, really excited to see where it goes. So yes,
1: well, thank you, James, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, been a great pleasure, and um we're gonna have to go on this journey together. so I always enjoy joining these sessions.
0: Thank you very, very much, Martin. Hopefully, we'll be able to get you back on again soon.